Hey guys, uh, welcome to a new edition of Sire Spotlight. Still working the kicks out as we always do. Um, I'm your host, Michael Dolce. Uh, this is a chance for me to, to kind of give you all of the really cool uh, interviews and different things that I've done over the years. Um, this one is going to be pretty cool because it's an Ed Kowalczyk uh, lead singer alive. Um, this was originally reported on AM New York, but it was really a small snippet. I ended up talking to him for a good 20 minutes. Um, back when he had just broken up with Live. So I thought with the new Live album out, uh, Local 717, I'd give you my quick review on it. And then I'd play you this awesome interview I have with Ed Kowalczyk again. This was uh, right around 2013 when he was uh, releasing his solo records. So we got a lot of great interviews like this. Last week we did Billy Corgan, etc., etc. We do this every Monday afternoon, right around this time, anytime between 12 and 1. I'm going to try to get it down to a science and get it down to like 12.30 every day, every Monday. But um, And then the main show, still Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, talking comics, movies, TV, and pop culture. Okay, Local 717, that's the new live record, um, you know, my 30-second review. Uh, love Lounge was an amazing single when it came out, actually, just because, all right, Live had an interesting little course, right, a little history lesson for, uh, I think it'll be more than 30 seconds. Live went from, you know, being a prolific 90s band uh, to kind of hitting that lull where the lead singer kind of took over everything and the rest of the band kind of didn't care, and that seemed to be the uh, extent of what had happened, essentially. Um, and then they kind of cared. And then they were kind of like, and then Ed Kowalczyk was kind of asking for like lead singer, you know, uh, money that, you know, was greater than the rest of the band, and, and there, there definitely seemed to be a division. Musically, there also seemed to be a bit of, divi uh, of a division. Um, and then on record, you know, the rest of the band, after they kind of broke up uh, for a little bit, was kind of like, yeah, the, the music we're playing kind of sucked. And, uh, you know, I think the response from the fans kind of kind of agreed, right? So the band goes off and picks up Christian. The band goes off and releases The Turn in 2014, uh, which turned out to be a really awesome record. Um, not great. Um, you know, Christian, look, he did his best. Um, his band, Unified Theory, is a pretty cool band. Um, so go check them out as well, too, if you dig that stuff. Uh, the turn ended up being, you know, what it was sonically, though, was it was a return to form uh, of that early 90s, that darker, lusher, um, guitar-heavy sound where Ed Kowalczyk, as a solo artist, kind of goes away from that. He's more of a singer-songwriter, and I think he kind of writes music that's kind of singer-songwriter stuff. Uh, so they got a big legal argument. They broke up. Ed ended up doing his own thing uh, in 2013, releasing uh, his solo record at that time. So uh, that's what you'll hear the interview from that I have from him. Um, and then the band ends up, you know, releases the turn in 2014. Then they kind of come together. So you're kind of thinking, okay, are we going to get the turn or are we going to get more of like Ed Kowalczyk solo stuff? So when Local 717 came out, the first two singles, very, very wisely are basically, this is return to form live. I mean, this is, you know, heavy guitars. Um, Chad Gracie's playing an amazing amount on the drums. I hope I got the Chads <laughs> correct. If I didn't, I'm sure someone will go out there and correct me because uh, that's what the internet is for, after all. Um, there's Chad Taylor and Chad Gracie. I believe Chad Gracie's the drummer. Uh, but Love Lounge, followed by Be a Giver Man. Be a Giver Man is honestly one of the best tracks I've heard all year. Um, it is definitely like you could look, it's a little slickly produced, so I don't think it fits on throwing copper necessarily, but it could easily be part of that whole 94, 95 live vibe. 
I mean, you could put this, you could pu easily put this on um, the '99 release that that Live had come out with, um, with Dolphins Cry on it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, the Distance to Here, which uh, was a pretty good record, um, you could put it on the Distance to Here, and it would fit in just fine. Um, sweet, sweet guitar riff at the very end to kind of close out with the lyrics. I mean, this is like vintage live. This is the kind of live I think we all want to hear. Uh, you know, no one... Look, it's almost impossible, impossible to recapture, you know, what has kind of come before uh, in any in any way, shape, or form. I think, you know, Green Day kind of did it in 2004 with American Idiot where they, they kind of had this re-inspired album. Uh, U2 did it with Like a Beautiful Day back in 2000, re-inspired. Uh, you know, there's been some comeback albums from bands like Pearl Jam and, you know, Alice in Chains, and it's good. It's, you know, the new Stumble Tumble Pilots release was amazing. I thought it was great. I mean, it's, you know, for, for losing their lead singer. Um, you know, so I think, I think in general, like, you can, you can recapture what you had. It's never going to be exactly, look, I mean, it was 14, 15 when that, when that thing came out, so I don't think it's ever going to go back there. Um, but those two tracks, especially Be a Giver Man, easily could fit into any of the any of the discography from uh way back when it's got the spirit it's got the intensity you have songs after that like waterfalls and um there's a waterfall uh and you have um brother which has this kind of like cool like you know uh, middle eastern kind of like uh you know vibe to it but those two waterfall especially that's ed kowalczyk writing solo i mean there's no doubt about it you you check out waterfall that is an Ed Kowalczyk solo um, recording. He brought it. The band liked it. They recorded it together. Uh, you're getting the Chad drumming, so at least you got that kind of kind of you know work in the backbeat of that. Brother is really good. Venus and Furs is a cover. I mean, it actually was kind of cool, but you know unnecessary. I think when you hear of a band getting back together, you kind of want to hear more of the band getting back together. Um, Brother could be an amalgam of an Ed solo song. Um, and live coming back, it kind of reminded me of Stage on Throwing Copper. Uh, so it could be either one. Uh, Waterfall, clearly an Ed Solo uh, opus. But overall, look, five tracks. Be a Giver Man, I can play over and over and over again. Um, Love Lounge is a cool is a cool song. Even Waterfall, look, I like some of Ed's solo stuff. I was actually very surprised. Um, you'll actually hear that in the uh, in the interview where all of a sudden... Uh, you know, I was I was surprised when uh, it was the flood and the mercy. Sorry, it was that was the was the album that was out when uh, when I interviewed him. Uh, I thought there was some really good, you know, some stuff with intensity on it, uh, even in in that record too. So Ed Solo stuff is not bad. Uh, it's it's you know it's not it's not when the band was recording everything together. Uh, good, but um, but look, there's a bit of a return to form there, and then there is uh, a little bit you know kind of like okay, Ed gets his solo stuff in there a little bit and then a little bit more return to form and then a cover it's a nice little snippet i am excited i hope uh, i saw them with counting crows uh they put an amazing show i hope they keep going back out there i hope they keep releasing new music um because they're still all relatively young enough that they can do this um and just in general i think it's a great record so all right that was my 30 second <laughs> review i guess it's more like a two minute review and uh without further review hmm, boy seven minute review uh, we're going to go dive right into uh, the awesomeness that was the Ed Kowalczyk interview that I had with him. So I hope you enjoy. Remember, check us out, secretsofthesire.com, uh, youtube.com slash secretsofthesire. Please subscribe. Uh, it helps me out. It would be immense if you can do that. All right. Here is the Ed Kowalczyk 
interview. You've been pretty prolific in terms of songwriting lately, um, with the EP in uh, 2012 and now a full length a year later. Um, not to mention your first full length was only like three years ago. Um, right. You know what? What? What's accounting for all this new material? What's um, What's going on in, in your in your in your insides there? Oh yeah, just a full blown renaissance, you know, of energy and, and passion for doing music again. You know, just um, really went you know part and parcel with just uh, you know moving into a, this new chapter of my life as a solo artist. You know, playing with new musicians, having you know new producers, and working with this guy, uh, this producer named Jamie Candelaurel on the latest EP and full length album. He's just completely expanded my horizons in terms of production uh, style and and uh, we're just working great together so uh, that's funny I actually have that as one of my questions <laughs> working with uh, Jamie I noticed you, you had the EP with him um, and, he, and he performs on the on the record too or does he or am I wrong on that uh, Jamie oh hello are you there uh oh did we lose you hello uh oh the dreaded, the dreaded. It's not there anymore. Um, I think I'm standing in this one spot. I think I, I think I'm on the same spot. Yeah. So uh, just an amazing, you know, like I said, a renaissance for me as a, as an artist, and just uh, just a, a, in terms of energy and, and, and excitement. Um, and just the, yeah, the writing's just been really prolific. And you know, it's the, you know, again, having a producer like Jamie, you know, having been working with him now a few years, he's really uh, just so inspiring. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if you heard, I, before we got cut off, I actually said that was one of my questions I was going to ask you. Um, it's the second record with Jamie, um, and, and I guess you kind of already started talking about it, but, you know, if you can expand on that. He performs on the record, too. Uh, I looked at he the... Does. Yeah. Yeah. So just uh, um, go into more detail about that relationship. Oh, you bet. Um, yeah, I started working with him, of course, uh, well, about two years ago, we started to work together off and on, and then more got, got more focused on the EP. Um, and then I really thought that that EP was just, you know, five more songs and that would kind of co-opt it into an album but I was just again so inspired to be working with such a genius in the studio that I just I, you know just wrote a whole new batch of songs which really felt like a different piece of work so it was great because it became two releases um, but Jamie um, you know, Jamie cut his teeth as, a, as an engineer uh, you know working with the likes of R.E.M. and and, uh, and others and, and he's uh, but an incredible musician and producer in his own right so Okay. Um, that leads me into my next question. Then Peter Buck also performs on the on the record from REM. Right, and, and that was the, it was great because you know he's worked with REM. I've known the guys off and on over the years, and then sung with them on stage. And hadn't seen Peter for a long time. And, and Jamie happened to be uh, at a wedding where Peter was attending as well while we were recording. And, oh wow! And said, uh, you know, Peter asked him, "Hey, what are you what are you working on lately?" He said, "Oh, I'm working on a Kowalczyk solo album." Oh man, I'd like to play on it. <laughs> <laughs> No, clear, clearly I don't want one of the greatest guitarists ever to perform on my record. Capital YES. So we, we went up uh, to Portland, Oregon and, and uh, hung out with Peter for a few days, recorded uh, in Scott McCoy's uh, basement studio. It was great. We ate, drank, went to record stores and made music. It was pretty much a dream come true. And um, So, yeah. So, I mean, Jamie, the whole, just the whole... Uh, the whole experience that we've had on this on this album, uh, making it, uh, writing it, making it, fleshing out these amazing new production styles for me, like in the song like Seven, the, the lead off single. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the intro of that, the production in general, is a real new level for me. And uh, 
And so, and the, and the record speaks to that in, in general. It's just a, each song has its own unique approach, which really has the core of what I do dynamically in my songwriting, my lyric. But it's, it really sounds like a different, uh, a whole different approach. And I, I think fans are really gonna like it. No, yeah, I remember. I remember you you cut that um, the Facebook. Um, you had that on your Facebook page, and you had that. Um uh, what do you call uh, the little clip that you played? And you were—I mean, you, you could tell you were really um, kind of exploring something new with, with you know, just just your reaction. You can just see, you know, kind of how into it you were. Absolutely. Um, so it's funny. It, it's great. I mean, you're actually cross, crisscrossing all over my questions, which is great. I was I, one of the things. One of the things that I noticed too is that I read that the LP that you threw out in 2012 was going to be, or sorry, the EP you threw out in 2012 was going to be, you know, on the LP. And I noticed, you know, I I, I was double checking to make sure I wasn't going nuts and I said well none of these songs are on the on the EP uh, on the LP um, so it seems like you really just are they new I mean totally new stuff or is this stuff you kind of had um, you know over the last couple years or what, what how'd, how'd that go about there were a things that were floating around that I finished but most of the Flood and the Mercy is you know written within the last 12-14 months and recorded so I mean it's really recent um, and, and uh, yeah I was surprised too because I again you know Worked really hard on the EP. Thought, okay, got everything going. Let's just do five more songs, put the record out, and and it just it just flipped into a whole other project. And I was I was thrilled because um the, the record just the, the two releases now that I listen to them too, it's, they really do feel different. They're, they're that different. was that was my next question. Yeah, that was my next question. What is what are the the, the visceral differences that you could kind of hear and, and you can kind of take in? Um, I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, I play music, I write, I draw, I, I make comics, I do all the stuff. I can't look at stuff I did three months ago, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, so yeah, it's, yeah, you get a perspective on it, and it's interesting. I look back and I think that this record is more. I think the record versus the EP is more adventurous sonically. I can almost hear the progression of Jamie and I getting more comfortable, getting mm. deeper into these songs. You know, um, you, you kind of hear that we just sort of we we just totally, you know, fell, fell into a whole other groove. Um, by the time we were starting to we recorded uh, the Flood and the Mercy, and and I can really hear that transition. I feel like it's less safe mm -hmm. in, in a lot of ways than the than the EP. The EP seems like really, you know, uh, it's got a kind of real clean and and uh, kind of purposeful production, which is great. But the the Flood and the Mercy really we um, we just kind of threw it all out there and just really went in and and, and again found ourselves um, exploring sounds and. And uh, doing things that uh, really surprised me. Like again, I mentioned Seven. Um, yeah. Right? You know, brought that song into the studio and started to sort of just track it on acoustic guitar. And what Jamie sort of built virtually was kind of, you know, this this almost massive attack kind of intro and this sort of mixture of kind of this really organic drumming and, and yet this electronic kind of thing. And, and I'd never heard much like that in general, let alone myself down like that. So sure, it, it maintains the dynamic of my of you know, what people know me for, but it's really pushing uh, beyond what I've ever done. So I was just super proud. We'll talk about having, uh, you know, various backing bands. I mean, obviously, uh, you're known for your work with Live, and, and uh, you know, Chad is such an amazing drummer, and I, I speak from that because I'm a drummer, too, so I, I love his drums uh -huh. and stuff like that. So so working with a new backing band, working with new in, uh, new musicians, I mean, how does that influence how you tend to write, or is it, or is it very straightforward? I know what, you know... Uh, Matt Cameron would say, you know, Soundgarden was very, you go in the studio, everything's already fleshed out, and we, we perform the way the songwriter intends, and that's it. Or or do you work with your backing band, or, or is it or is it more like, hey, this is what I need from you, can I get this out of you kind of stuff? Uh, it depends. I mean, I, I do, you know, with, with this uh, Flood and the Mercy, J uh, Jamie played all the drums on the record. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was really... Uh, 
he's such a talented drummer that we just were able to do, you know, four or five different versions, uh, you know, on the fly and just pick and choose through sort of what we felt really sold the song, you know, and really pushed it to, to where we wanted it to go. Um, but I've done it in a lot of different ways. I mean, I tracked um, Alive, much, much like the live records where I would come in songs fleshed out okay here's what we think they should do and everybody just play your part okay um, and i did that in a live this one was much more scientific studio kind of like you know trying lots of different stuff for every part and and really finding and finding that uh that perfect uh rhythm that perfect sound um and and i, I feel like the record um just stands stands above everything else in terms of a work of art from my perspective um, yeah you know, then 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 say more a band type record, uh, which are great. And they have a really cool, unique energy to them, and it was a way that I tracked and recorded for years. But yeah. this one, I, I think, it was just finding Jamie and him being so so talented in the studio and such a great player that we were able to just um, really get even deeper with it. Cool. Um, you know, I noticed there there was a harder edge to some of the songs than I was expecting. I really was expecting some of the more earlier, like the earlier 2000s stuff where it was a little lighter and whatever, but there's songs like Parasite and uh, Take Me Back has such a groove to it that I was I was actually kind of taken aback. I mean, it's it's got almost like a punk, uh, yeah. you know, you know where, you, where you cut the music and you're at that point and then you come with the guitar and it's kind of biting and stuff like that. You know, where 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 is this kind of harder edge coming from? Is this something that... Um, you know, if you could just talk about in general, like well, some yeah, of those songs. I think that you know, the production just suited the, the energy of the song that I wanted, you know, um, and I, and I just took every song, took the emotion and said, okay, what, sh what should this be? You know, and Parasite clearly needed to be real cutting and, mm -hmm. and rocking. And then Take Me Back, actually, I wrote, I wrote with Jamie. Um, we had gotten to the end of the whole project and I, and I thought we were, well, we, we were almost there. We had like nine or 10 songs and I thought, you know, this is this record needs something like that, that middle song that yeah. makes the record in half, almost like when you have, you just have to, well, you still turn vinyl over. <laughs> what's the, what's the uh, re-intro, you know, right. the second half of the record. And and Jamie had sent me some stuff. We I said, you know, we work so well together, we should maybe write a few things. And he sent me some things that were just, that, that take me back sort of uh, verse chorus. And, and I said, this is it, because this is so non-linear. This really cuts the record in half, and then we can start it again. You get this part of the, the second half of the journey. And and so that was really fun to work with Jamie on that. He sent the music, and I sang, of course, with Melody and Lyrics, and, and we're going to do more of it. We actually wrote that one and this song called The Watchman's Lament, which um towards the end of the record. So mm -hmm. two, two uh, collaborations with Jamie as, as writer, which was really fun. And um, they, they almost felt more like the band songs on the record, like we were, like I was writing to an already established uh, riff or, or groove. And I hadn't done that for a long time, so that, it was a lot of fun. Cool. Um, let's let's talk about your, your, your shift in style. I noticed like the early live records are, are definitely, you know, a product of their time kind of thing. Um, and they're amazing, and they're, they're some of my all-time favorite stuff. Obviously, throwing Copper Start to Finish is amazing. Secret Samadhi, I love the vi I love the whole vibe in that record. Um, and I even heard some of the B sides off that that I thought were just fantastic. But then around, right around, um, you know, the fourth or fifth record, around around V, but not quite V. I, th I feel like V is the last point where you're writing songs in that vein, and then it kind of shifts into the into this next phase with like Birds of Prey, and then. Um, and then the record in 2005 too, like, uh, what was the shift in style? Like what, what was, you know, talk about your progression as a songwriter and how, um, now you seem to be entering, you know, a self-described kind of new phase. Yeah. Well, 
on all those, um, you definitely had, you know, this, this always this effort in, in, in me and, as, uh, as a writer and as, you know, main producer and songwriter and everything in life. You can, I, when I look back on that, I see myself sort of, you know, pushing into different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, really just for its own sake, you know, um, without really any intention other than let's not repeat what we've done. Sure. You know, um, which drove record companies. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> Sure. You know, exactly. Well, you know, this isn't Nickelback, not to... <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I won't put but, that in. But I'm not going to write the same song again. I just don't... You know, my, my heroes, you know, are R.E.M. And, and bands like that, that that would rather jump off a bridge than write anything. Sure. Else. You know, they totally different song approach and fresh approach each time. And that, you know, to me, you know, I had to... I look back and I think, like, you know, the only way I could stay interested in it was to continue to do that kind of thing and to find new producers. I mean, you mentioned V, and that was an amazing experience with Alan Johannes and, um, you know, in his, in his home studio. It's, again, just, a, just a, another sort of musical producing genius that we just had a ton of fun experimenting. Um, and, and so I think, if anything, the Flood and the Mercy, long story short, kind of come in full circle yeah. back to where, you know, I feel like there's elements of, in some ways, elements of every era Mm-hmm. in record of my songwriting and producing career, you know, um, you know, we sort of get to, you know, the more aggressive songs like The One and Parasite and, you know, they really, you know, really cutting songs that might be more like sort of mid-90s. Sure, yeah. Have, you know, um, and then I think I push, you know, I'm pushing into new areas melodically and lyrically with Bottle of Anything and Holy Water Tears and the approach of those songs, which is much more of this sort of like real textural, almost Americana kind of sure. um, feel. And, um, and then, of course, you know, Peter playing on those songs really, you know, added that, that other depth of, of uh, melodics or composition. And, and, um, and I love that because, you know... Uh-oh. <laughs> Son of a bee. I keep losing them here. I got two more questions. I suppose asking... We're almost there. Home... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, again, Peter, you know, just the icing on an already amazing cake. He, he just came in and, and just added this, um, you know, it was funny because jumping around here, but, you know, when I when I listened to the record and we had all tracked it and we were headed up to Portland, I thought, what is he going to play? It's so full, so much on it. Like, we've already kind of fleshed these out. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, you know, famous last words, I sit there and he comes up with these really unique parts that just sit right in the space that yeah. I didn't even hear there was one. <laughs> you know, yeah, leave it to Peter Buck to, to totally find, you know, find that, that area. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how your spirituality has kind of influenced your songwriting in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, the final track, The Cornerstone, I mean, that one obviously, you know, really shouts out, um, yeah. you know, uh, that it, it's a standout track to me. Um, and so if you could just kind of talk about how that's influenced your songwriting. Yeah, well, that's, an actual, that's actually a Bob Marley cover, um, an obscure Bob Marley song called Cornerstone that I Wow, I didn't know I had no idea that. Wow. Yeah, Bill, I, I I've been a huge Marley fan forever and um and this this latest uh I guess you call it a biopic or the movie Marley that came out, uh, the latest full length feature, mm-hmm. I was just reinvigorated about his music, about his life and, and this point really poignant moment in the in the film where he's uh you know, he's clearly this underdog and um in, in his family and in his approach to life and everything in Jamaica, and he's and he's uh, you know really fleshing this thing out. And he writes this early song 
Cornerstone, which uses the lyric, of course, this is a biblical reference. Sure, um, right, right. Where, you know, the, the stone that the builder refused will be the, you know, will always be the, the, the cornerstone. And, uh, you know, and I, I thought about it, and I thought, you know, this is, it just hit me, it struck me in a way that, you know, I um, took it to mean and to, and to, and to feel that, um, you know, we what we see with our eyes, what, what we perceive with the senses is, you know, and the way that men esteem accomplishments and successful people and all those things are, are only relative and that, you know, a lot of, many times we have to look beyond that into the soul, into what really matters and what's really valuable because so many times we, we forsake that for what we're being, you know, for, for what uh, we value yeah. uh, relatively. And, you know, and so I, it really struck me and I wanted to do the song. I wanted, I felt personal sort of resonance with it um and um and you know just wanted to do something unique and, and so we took it it's a real if you listen to the original from the movie it's really uh, we did a totally different version we kind of straightened it out and made it more of a sort of a hymn with piano and a real stacked out uh, vocal approach with the almost like a choir yeah and so it was really uh and even even the even the the, the music at the end uh, too, uh, kind of the bonus track, if you will, um, you know, very yeah, serene, what, what very Jamie, nice. What Jamie, called, yeah, what Jamie called the, we have to have a flying gnome. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what it sounds like. He starts playing like this, just kind of starts kind of this guitar thing, and it's got real mysterious. And I had a little poetry I had written down, and and um, just start to speak it into this sort of like tele telephone kind of thing. And, and the, if you look if you look at the track, it's eight. It's like cornerstones. Like wow, that's eight minutes long, but it's actually. Not to give away the secret, which we're doing right now, but it is, if you keep on listening, you do come to the uh, Flying Gnomes secret track. And you've been pretty prolific in terms of... That was the Ed Kowalczyk interview uh, that I did with him. And uh, again, I appreciate you guys... Uh, Checking this out and checking out the Sire Spotlight. This is a pretty cool thing for me to do every Monday. Just kind of give you uh, some of the cool interviews I've had uh, over the years. Uh, next week, uh, I'm thinking maybe I'll redo the Chris Cornell one just because he has a new uh, box set out as well, too. Uh, I've got stuff Craig Finn from Hold Steady. I've got uh, Macy Gray. I just did a recent interview. Uh, we're going to run that on Secrets of the Sire Maine in January. Um, Young the Giant. That'll be coming up pretty soon as well, too. Um, you know, try to run as many as we can during the, uh, during the main show, uh, but then you get, like, the full uncut. Um, again, if you dig this kind of stuff, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash secrets of the sire. If you really want to support us, patreon.com slash secrets of the sire. Uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of a transition in the next couple of, uh, weeks, uh, rebranding and such, but, uh, for the most part, secrets of the sire.com. Thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed it.